Hey, and welcome to the Well Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we're librarians with the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And this week, it's hard to believe, but it's time to discuss our favorite reads of 2016. Where did this year go? Where did it go? <laughs> I feel like we just did this. Into a black hole. <laughs> yes. Did you? How did you feel like your reading was this year? I definitely found some new favorites. I didn't have a problem with finding 10 books that I loved, but... N- almost none of them were things that came out this year so that was really surprising to me because I've I I definitely enjoyed some things I read this year but I didn't have that overwhelming I adored this book feeling and even books that I I rated like I was looking over Goodreads and and realized that I had some books that I had rated five stars and then when I was trying to that had come out this past year Mm -hmm. and then when I was trying to make my list I thought yeah it's just not really cutting it I don't have that deep pull toward that book and so I I mainly picked things I think actually everything I picked was something that that by the end of the year had still stuck with me so yes that's what I did that was sort of my criteria so yeah but but only one of these books is something that came out in 2000 or no two actually I just saw one two that came out in 2016 so we're going to talk about 10 books each and that's a lot of stuff that was not released this year (laughs) yeah I think I don't I didn't count up but I think the majority of mine came out this year I don't know maybe mm-hmm. maybe it was more like 60 40 well and I've seen your list and there's things that I really liked that yeah that you include on your list yeah. that came out this year yeah but I in the comparison of yeah. favorite books right by the end of the right. year then right I other understand. stuff won out so. well and I also tried to make mine kind of a varied list mm-hmm. so I have That's my hard. favorite yeah. audiobook and you know yeah. instead of just top 10 yeah and I'll, I'll explain why I've chosen each of them as I go through but I had a lot of books I really liked this year when uh-huh. I went back and looked at my notes for them and and the the grades I give to mm-hmm. them after I finish reading them I had a lot of really strong contenders for books mm-hmm. that I liked and so coming up with a list of 10, I basically went with what, like you said, what has stuck with me, what mm-hmm. off the top of my head, what I could think these are the books that I read that now sitting here in December, I can say, right. I really loved that book right. um, or that reading experience. And so even if there's a book that maybe I rated a five on Goodreads at the time when I read it, it might not have made my exactly. top 10 of the year list, which seems weird. But yeah. Yeah. I kept thinking this, this can't be right. Yeah. I should just go with all the books that have five right. stars. But- right. Right. That's not that's not the way it worked it for felt. me. Yeah. Right. Okay, so let's dive in. Uh, and did you do these in an order or no? Uh, it's no particular order. Although this first book is my favorite. Oh, that's what of, I did too. The, the first year. one is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that wasn't on purpose. It just was, you know. I guess the first I was thing making that came my list. Right. Then, yeah. So, um, so my first book is In the Woods by Tana French. Yay. And we talked about this in the tackling our to be read list episode which was number 29 and thanks to Hallie I finally read this book which has been on my shelf for many many years uh, with the the great intention of reading it and just had never gotten around to it so this book is narrated by it's a fiction book it's it's narrated by an Irish detective named Rob Ryan who is investigating the murder of a 12 year old girl in a remote suburb of Dublin um, and it's her body is found near an ar- uh, near an archaeological site and Ryan realizes that when that the place that she was found is basically the same location as the mystery that he was involved in 20 years before when he went into the woods with two of his, two of his friends and he was found, but they never were and he has no memory of what happened to any of them. And so there's really kind of two insanely mm-hmm. compelling mysteries in one novel. And I was completely torn at feeling like I wanted to race toward the end of the novel mm-hmm. and find out what happened, but also wanted to savor the writing because the the character development and, and just the language of the book is so perfect. So I ended up t- taking my time. I think I took a couple of weeks to read this mm-hmm. because it was just so enjoyable to, yeah. to be in that world, even though it's also kind of deeply uncomfortable right. in certain right. ways. If you've read the book, you completely understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so when I wrote my review on Goodreads for this, I called it Mystery Perfection. And there were other mysteries that I read at the same time as this that I had to rate lower because I kept thinking it's not they as weren't as yeah. good. Yeah. I just can't do it. So it's riveting and it's satisfying and it's emotionally devastating all at the same time and in all of the best ways. Yeah. So this is this is my topic of the year. I fully support that pick. Yay. All right. As you would imagine, since I selected it. Yes. For you to read. <laughs> um, um, and that was In the Woods by Tana French. 
All right. So, and before I start with mine, I want to say, and I think this is true for both Anne and for me, these books that we're listing as our top 10 are all books we read for the first time in 2016. Oh, yes. Yes, because yes, I think we both had reread books uh, from previous years mm -hmm. of you know whether it was 25 years ago or right. last year that we reread and so we didn't include any of those because the assumption was sort of if we were reading something a second time we really liked it right. the first time around right. and so it would still remain a favorite so right. we eliminated any of those because like I listened to all of the Harry Potter books yeah. and so and those I, would have been seven of the ten probably. Sure <laughs> and I think that at least in my case the books that would have been in top picks are things I've already talked about the podcast like yeah. we've always lived in the castle oh, was right. a reread from this right. year and so I don't need to you don't need to do those. Bring again. it up again, right. but right. But that was one of them. Yeah. So everyone knows. <laughs> you just cheated and slid <laughs> one extra in there. Okay, so my first one is A Little Life by Hanya Yanagahara. And I don't think I have talked about this other than last year in our resolutions episode. Right. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that I wanted to read it mm -hmm. in 2016 because I hadn't gotten around to it in 2015. And it got lots of accolades in 2015. As I said, when Anne started hers, this, I, this is my... This was the best book I read mm -hmm. all year, and this was the one that has stuck with me the most, I would say. It's been a really long time since I have read a book that has been so moving and affecting for me. Um, it's a story of four friends who meet in college and then move to New York City and what becomes of them. But the main protagonist is Jude, and he's a man who had an absolutely horrific childhood. And so this book reflects what happens, what effect that has on him as an adult. And how everybody surrounding him thinks the world of him and that he's a worthwhile person and they love him and they support him. And because of his the abuse that took place in his childhood, he he can't see that. He doesn't understand how they could think that he's worthwhile. So it's not this isn't a book for the faint of heart. It's completely emotionally devastating. It's one of those books that after I finished, I just kind of stared into space because I didn't know, <laughs> like you have to process yeah. what you've read. Uh, it's really long. I think it's seven or 800 pages. So that's part of why it's so involving too, because you're spending so much time with these characters mm -hmm. and going through what they're going through. And I have read and heard a lot of mixed reviews about this book. I think that some people feel like it's over the top in hmm. the what it piles on as far as horrible situations for this man. But for me, I found it so involving emotionally. And I I knew when I finished it that anything I would pick up next would pale in comparison. Yeah. So I sort of had to cautiously go forward after yeah. that and pick a book that I didn't think maybe I would like that much anyway, because yeah. I didn't want to give short shrift to whatever I was reading next. Um, so again, it's a hard book to recommend because it was just so it rakes you over the coals emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so it's a hard book to recommend. It's also a hard book because people are affected in different ways when reading about these abuse situations. So you never want to recommend something that's going to cause somebody emotional distress. Right. Um, so it's a hard one to recommend, but it's worthwhile if, if you're interested. And I've told several people this, that if you read the first 50 or 100 pages and you're not liking it, you're not liking the style, you're not liking the story, at that point, drop it. Because yeah. it doesn't ever get... <laughs> happier it doesn't ever get much more you know it, it it's just that's that's what it is that's right. what the book is anyway so that's a little life by Hanya Yanagahara I cannot recommend it enough it was it was an amazing amazing book I follow someone on Twitter maybe or Instagram some some social media site who has read it like four times at this point oh. that that he says I just can't stop mm -hmm. reading it I every, every time I I get drawn to it I get pulled back in right. and and I have to read the whole thing okay. and it's always just as good and yeah. and um that's not very often that no. people say that wow. about a book so yeah. it it I keep wanting to read it because I I'm so I want to to have that amazing reading right. experience but I'm also very yeah. scared to read it so well that's why I, but I think I talked about this the resolution show that's why I'd put it off for yeah. so long I knew it was going to be that kind of book yeah. and so I really wanted to wait until I had first of all the time to devote to it mm -hmm. uh, it was a book I read over several days when I wasn't working and had a mm -hmm. chance to just really concentrate on it mm -hmm. instead of just a few pages before bed each night and also emotionally ready right. like it was, you have to be prepared right. to be taken to a kind of dark sad yeah. place so. 
Anyway, all right. We'll Let's see. do your number two. Maybe okay. it'll be happier than my number one. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, definitely everything would be happier than that. So um, my number two is People Who Knew Me by Kim Hooper. And I talked about this in uh, episode 31, which was our Low Country book episode. But it was what I was reading that week. Mm-hmm. And it's told in alternating chapters that take place before and after September 11th. So in the before chapters, uh, we learn about a woman named Emily who's struggling in her marriage when her husband... Uh, realizes he needs to take care of his ailing mother who i think has parkinson's disease and because of the struggle in their marriage then she begins an affair with her boss and is and that goes on for a while and she's trying to decide what to do with her future when the planes hit the world trade center and that's where she works and so oh, everyone yeah so yeah. everyone assumes that she's died in the collapse yeah. and so then um we have the after chapters where emily is now living in california with her now teenage daughter who is and, and Emily was pregnant when this happened in, mm-hmm. on September 11th. And she goes by the name of Connie, and she's never told anyone of her past. And so so everyone in New York thinks she's dead, and everyone in California has no idea that she ever had another life. So so it has a very interesting setup for the mm-hmm. book. And so I think we talked at that time about that we both love books that have two timelines that yeah. sort of pivot on one event, and you just are seeing how they converge. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was out... I was more shocked that or I, I like this more because it was so surprising to me that I that this book had so much psychological depth because mm-hmm. I, I was expecting maybe more of a not necessarily psychological suspense but something a little bit more along those lines but there's all kinds of fascinating questions about who's who's at blame in a tense scenario mm-hmm. when really n- neither party is wrong or right, right and they're right. both making bad decisions and they're both making good decisions and and in this case it's a marriage and and there's just there, there were I'm so used to reading things or thinking about situations as this is the right answer right. and this is the wrong answer. And so um, it really gave me a lot to think about and yeah. it's really stuck with me since I read the book. So um, it was a big surprise. It was just something that I randomly requested from a publisher and, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know why I chose to read it. It yeah. just was a, a happy fluke. So yeah. I've, I've really thought about it a lot since then. So it's uh, People Who Knew Me by Kim Hooper. All right, my next one is Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld. And I've talked about this, I think, a couple of times, but never actually talked talked about about it. it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) This is a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice set in Cincinnati. Okay, so this was a favorite for pure enjoyment reasons. It's a book that I recognize that it had some flaws, but for me, it was just kind of a perfect reading Mm -hmm. experience. It's really clever to me how she took a story about manners and social constructs in the early 19th century and transpose them believably into 2016. Yeah. I've read other updates of classic works where it's a little clunky the For way sure. they try yeah. to take those storylines and be true to the original and, and just plop it into modern day. Mm-hmm. And this really felt like she put some thought into what the equivalent was right. now to what that would have been then. Right. Not just, Not just I will take the same right. scenario, right. but but what would be just as shocking. Right. To, right. To so... That. The, uh, Liz and Jane are approaching their 40s mm-hmm. and aren't married. And so their mom is obsessed with them getting married. And that seems much more believable than, you know, oh, I have five daughters. I have to marry them right. all off. No, well, you know, you can kind of see that. There's yeah. a there's a social ideal that, you know, everybody pairs off at some point. Mm-hmm. And so as a mother, you think your daughters are turning 40 and aren't married yet. And you want them to have, you could see how the mother would want them to have that right. experience. So. The story is that Liz, who, Elizabeth, it goes by Liz mm-hmm. in this, uh, is lives in New York City, but she comes back to Cincinnati when she learns that her father is ill and the medical bills are really piling up. So they're going to have to sell their, their big house. Darcy is this well-regarded surgeon. Mm-hmm. So it takes the, you know, his wealth and mm-hmm. turns it into a modern day thing. And he's a bit taciturn and broody and sparks fly between them, but they kind of hate each other. And they have this, this really interesting relationship where they recognize their attraction to each other, but still find each other irritating, right. <laughs> which is kind of funny. I thought that, again, that's a way that she took their, 
their relationship from Pride and Prejudice and made it believable. Uh, even though there are parts of their relationship that I didn't particularly like what mm-hmm. she did with, at least I believed mm-hmm. what it was that she was doing. And I just found, I thought all the characters were so true to their original counterparts, but with a modern twist that made it really fun. And the way the relationships unfolded drew me in, despite the fact that I knew exactly how it was right. all going to end. Uh, I just found it utterly delightful. It was one of those reading experiences that the time flew by when I was reading it. It was all I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. was reading that book uh, so that's eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld and it's a big book but it reads super so fast, fast yeah so 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 fast yes. yeah I I don't it could have been in my top 10 I knew you were going to talk about right. it so I didn't I never considered it but yeah. it, I agree that it was just such a pleasurable even though yeah. there were I think there were things that bothered me more yeah. than it bothered you mm-hmm. but you still recognize them but for me they were they were a little yeah harder to to swallow but but yeah, it just was was so enjoyable yeah. to be reading it and, and to see the choices that she makes. And um, yeah, it kind of reminds me of, of like last year, we both really loved uh, The Royal, Royal We. Yeah, same and thing. And that sort of like, same I feeling. just am happy yes. reading this. And so. I think I enjoyed it even more because I've read some bad yes, adaptations. for sure, for sure. And so expectations going into it weren't super high, mm-hmm. although I've liked every other things I've read by Curtis Sittenfeld. Mm-hmm. So I was hopeful. Um, but so I think it, because it exceeded what I was expecting of it, that mm-hmm. that helped make it Definitely. even a better book yeah. because I thought, oh, wow, this is really clever and yeah. witty what she's done. Yeah. She's clearly thought out her choices. Yes. yes. That's always appreciated by readers. Okay. So my third book is Skinwalkers by Tony Hillerman. And this is a mystery classic that I had never read. And so I did for the for my podcast or my podcast my book club <laughs> so I don't other, think you've talked about this have you the other book related thing I do all the time um and I really wish I'd picked this up years ago because it was it was just very a, a big surprise to me of how much I enjoyed it it's a police procedural that's about two detectives that live on the Navajo reservation in New Mexico and one is the seasoned veteran named uh Joe Lee Porn and he thinks that Native American religion is old-fashioned superstition and then he's partnered with a, a younger man named Jim Chi who is being who is training to become a Navajo healer. So they have this really at odds um, point of view of the of their culture. And so they're investigating a series of murders on the reservation that seem to be random at first, but then they begin to to kind of tenuously be be linked together with evidence of of witchcraft. And so specifically that a skinwalker who is a witch that can change shapes into animals is is involved in these murders but Lee Porn knows that these were committed by a flesh and blood human and it's just someone that's kind of abusing the culture's um, beliefs to um, to hide who they are so um, so like I said the the opposite beliefs of of Lee Porn and Chi sort of sort of play into this mystery and it leads to a lot of tension within the investigation but they really respect each other and they work well together and so it really brings different strengths to the partnership which I, I found really um, appealing to read about because often you read partnerships in in police procedurals where there's a, a experienced officer mm-hmm. and a younger and a one and rookie, yeah. yeah and he's all brash and stupid right. and and this is just a really different dynamic and I really enjoyed that um, it didn't have that same sort of cliched yeah. which can be very enjoyable right. but it's it's a little done at this point I think so the pacing is so well done in this mystery everything really unfolds in a beautiful way and and just in a very pleasurable way. Um, but really, the star of the of the book is the setting and the characters. It actually made me really homesick, which pretty much nothing does. <laughs> I was so, say, that's shocking. I know. <laughs> I love I love the Southwest in a lot of ways. I'd never want to live there again. But this this made me so homesick. And and Tony Hillerman obviously adored the Southwest, but he also isn't trying to romanticize it mm-hmm. in any way. Um, he doesn't sugarcoat any of the real issues that affect the the Native American reservations that that are there. So everything felt very real and familiar to me, even though this isn't obviously my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm from the Phoenix area, and so I'm a city girl. But but it just it was it felt very familiar in a way that that was unexpected for me. And I I like to reading up on the the book for my book club for some background research to find out that Tony Hillerman was very well respected by the Navajo, oh, um, okay. and they they were very appreciative of the accuracy that he brought to his books, and that he obviously. Um, worked really hard to portray the, the culture accurately. I, I know there were some dissenting opinions on that, but for the most part, it sounds like it was a it was a very respectful relationship okay. between them, which I, I liked a lot. And it, and I think this book shows that deep love that he has for the people and for the culture. So it was just a great a great sort of surprise, and which I guess is sort of the theme for a lot of books yeah. that end up being your favorites, your favorites of the yeah. year, where you think I didn't expect to right. to love this as much as I did. So 
I really, really enjoyed it. It's called Skinwalkers by Tony Hillerman. All right, my next one is Lab Girl by Hope Jarens, which I have talked about on the podcast before, but I did not do my homework like you did to look at which episode I talked about. It. I'll link to them all Sorry. In, the, in the show notes. Okay, thank you. So this is a memoir of a woman who is a scientist. She studies trees, flowers, seeds, and soil. Uh, and she was raised by a scientist father and a literature literature professor mother so she has this joint love of the written word as well as nature and the scientific process which makes her kind of the perfect person to tell the story she's Mm -hmm. a beautiful beautiful writer and she interweaves stories about plant life with her own history and both end up fascinating I never knew how I could care so much about trees as Mm -hmm. the way she writes about them and she (laughs) the way she does it is very symbolic of what she's talking about in her own story so um, for me though and I talked about this when I discussed it the first time in the podcast, what stood out for me is she has this special relationship with a colleague named Bill. It's completely unique. It's nothing I've ever really seen before. They have a complete compatibility that is sort of like a mind meld mm-hmm. where they, they find the same things interesting. They find the same things funny. They they just get along very, very well on a working side of it. And normally when you read that sort of story, it ends up, romantic right and this isn't this never turns into it's just this really solid partnership that they have and they're both a little odd they're kind of offbeat and are a little bit they're kind of loners but then they find comfort with each other and he started out as her assistant but then remains with her throughout the course of her career which has some bumps in it because one of the things I didn't know, which I I think I've also mentioned is how difficult it is to get funding for scientific research. So there are times that he's homeless because she can't pay him enough to live in an apartment. And so he lives out of his van, but he's okay with that. Or he sleeps (laughs) in the lab. I mean, he's all right with it. Um, And so that the way they're totally in sync and the way that partnership leads to success in the scientific field is, was very interesting to me. And I listened to the audiobook and the author narrates it, which can sometimes be a dicey proposition. Sure. Yeah. Um, but she is, she's a very, has a very pleasant voice to listen to. And she has, gives a very sincere performance. You can mm-hmm. tell she's moved by some of the things that she describes and some of the things she talks about. She has a history of depression that she talks about, and it's clearly a difficult subject for her. And, and, and I think you get more of that from her telling you the story than if a professional narrator were telling the story. Um, so this, like your last one was kind of a big surprise to me. I'd heard some good things about it, but I, and I like listening to biographies, uh, as audiobooks Mm -hmm. versus reading them. And so that's why I listened to it, but it surprised me how much I enjoyed it. Um, it was, it was more than just a diversion and a way to pass the time. I, I really, really, obviously it made my top 10. Um, and that's lab girl by hope Jarens. I really want to listen to that. My next book is Wolf Hollow by Lauren Walk. And I talked about this a while back. Uh, oh, it was, was the it What the to Children's? Read. No, it was oh. the What to Read Next episode oh, okay. of how we pick what, what to read next. Okay. So um, I kept thinking this doesn't apply to what we talked about, but then my, my notes are just weird. Anyway, this is a children's book, but could be a YA book. I'm voting children's though. Um, and it takes place in rural Pennsylvania during World War II. And the main character is a little girl named Annabelle who is being bullied by an older girl named Betty. And when a local hermit named Toby stands up for Annabelle, uh, Betty decides to turn her cruelty toward him. And there's really horrible consequences to that. And that's an extremely brief description of everything that happens in the book. But it's it's worth to read to yeah. sort of see how everything unfolds because it, the plot starts kind of small in scope and then it, it just gets bigger as you as you read along. And I really love this because it's incredibly compelling and I think it captures really well how kid logic is not adult logic. So kids are afraid to tell a grown-up that something is happening, so they try to take care of it themselves and that's always a bad idea. And as adults reading that, it, that can be frustrating, but that's kid logic. And so I thought it was really realistic really realistically portrayed of of what would happen in a situation like like is being described in this book and i i liked that it um delves into bigger questions of how we treat outsiders in society and what it means to be compassionate to those that we don't identify with Mm -hmm. and what it means to make the right decision when it's the unpopular decision and um all of those things are very applicable still Mm -hmm. today so it was it was just a, a another big surprise for me and a really moving read um, which I'm I'm not I wouldn't describe it as heartwarming mm-hmm. but but I don't often describe things as moving either right, and this right. one really really was so that was Wolf Hollow by Lauren Walk 
My next one is One True Loves by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I can't remember if I talked about this book before or anything I by Taylor Jenkins Reid. You've mentioned her before, Have but I, I can't okay. remember the context. Okay, so. But you haven't talked about this book because I had no idea what it was. Oh, okay. So if I ever want a book that is guaranteed to make me cry, I always <laughs> pick up one of hers. Um, they're, I would describe them as bittersweet love stories and similar if, if you like Jojo Moyes mm-hmm. or maybe Leanne Moriarty like those sorts of stories mm-hmm. but but in a different way like contemporary women contemporary women and yeah relationship yeah. B stuff yeah um so this one is a total gut punch I thought uh Emma Blair marries her high school sweetheart Jesse when they're in their 20s and they live this very adventurous and somewhat vagabond lifestyle where they travel a lot and do lots of cool fun things and on their first anniversary Jesse is in a helicopter over the Pacific Ocean that goes missing oh gosh and Emma's whole life <laughs> you know, falls apart. Uh, She falls apart. So she ends up moving back home to be near her family, which is on the East coast. And I don't remember where it is, maybe Philadelphia or something mm -hmm. like that. And tries to come to terms with, with the grief over losing the love of her life and, and what she thought her future was going to be. Um, So about three years later, Emma runs into an old friend, Sam, and much to her surprise, she finds herself falling in love with him. It, mm-hmm. it, it's a slow process, but she still sorely misses Jesse, but embraces the opportunity to have some happiness in her life. And they, they're they dating and getting closer and closer, and they end up getting engaged. Well, then Jesse is found alive, having <laughs> survived on his own on an island in the middle of the ocean for all this time oh my with his one goal to get back to Emma. So now Emma has to figure out what she wants, who she is now, which man has a place in her life because they both make it clear that, you know, she has to choose. She has to choose who she wants to be. I can't handle this description. (laughs) I can't handle this book. Oh my gosh. So I found it heartbreaking in the best, most satisfying way. You feel like you were saying earlier about the no right answer, you know, Uh there's there's no right answer. I had my opinion of what I wanted to have happen, but you could see there's just no yeah. no good solution here. And so I recommend all of Taylor Jenkins read book reads books if this sounds at all intriguing to you. Uh any of her books would be satisfying. But this is One True Loves by Taylor Jenkins Reed. I can't I can't handle that. <laughs> I mean, I wanna read it. It sounds really compelling and fascinating, but I can't I can't handle that. <laughs> does it tie your stomach up in nuts? Yeah, it to totally does. It's like, ah, oh, it hurts. <sighs> Okay. Okay. Give me your next one. My next book is Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, which I think you've read. I read that. Um, It's very well respected and it came out, I think in 2014. It's it's recent. And then I finally got to it this year. I'm very, very glad I did. So at the very, very beginning, in the very first sentence of the book, we find out that a teenager named Lydia has died and that her family doesn't know this information yet, but um, they will. And you start to piece together the the family life um, as the book goes on. And so you learn that it's a mixed race family that lives in a college town in Ohio in the 1970s. And the father is named James and he's of Chinese descent. He's a first generation American um, and teaches American studies at the local university. While her mother, Marilyn, Lydia's mother, Marilyn, is white and gave up a promising career as a scientist in order to get married and have have a family. And so they've had three kids and each of the kids is constantly pointed out at in the community and at school that they're different than their peers. They're very aware of this part of their identity. And so um, once they find out about Lydia's death, they have to confront the realities of what that means to each of them. And they begin to see the ways that their family life is kind of very tenuously held together and that they each have untold hurts from, mm-hmm. from each other and unmet dreams that they've, they've kept to themselves for, for many years. And so the, one of the issues that's happening in the book is that the parents have very openly favored Lydia as she's been growing up over the other two children. And so we're shown as readers how that affects each child's life and, and the parents' lives as well. But you especially see the point of view of, this, of the oldest son is named Nathan and how, how this, this favoritism has really changed a lot of things in his life that other than how they could have gone. So I read this from a mystery book club and it definitely has mystery elements because you don't know what led to Lydia's death until the very end. And so there's a, a compelling mystery drive in it, but it's so much bigger than that, yeah. which I would say all good mysteries are mm-hmm. that way. Definitely in the woods is, is also one that has a lot more going on than mm-hmm. just the mm-hmm. mystery part of it. 
but you have really delicately drawn family dynamics and there's so much left unsaid between these people and it's heartbreaking to read and completely engrossing all at the same time. And I've heard this described as, as the top book of 2014 on many lists and it definitely deserves that, that recognition. This would be a perfect book club book for, Mm -hmm. for anyone, really any type of book club. There's tons to talk about and there's tons of things to consider on the different choices that each character makes and what you would do in your own life. And each character is complex and flawed, but also relatable mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and likable. And um, although likable is debated yeah. um, in, <laughs> in my book club quite heavily, um, but it's just it it seems like it'll it will be a a simple book mm-hmm. or, or a much a much simpler story mm-hmm. than it that en- it ends up being. And it's it's just really riveting. And that is everything I never told you by Celeste Ng. Yeah, I read that when it came out, and that would have been in my top 10 of that year mm-hmm. if we had had a podcast back then. Oh. <laughs> All right, my next one is The Ship of Brides by Jojo Moyes, and this takes place in 1946. World War II is over, and there are women in Australia who are going to be traveling by ship to meet the men they marry during wartime. And this was something that happened where, as you can imagine, men and women would meet, and the men were from other places and stationed elsewhere, and they would meet women. and fall in love and get married and or just get married <laughs> not necessarily the love part and you know have these whirlwind romances and then after the war ends then real life sets in and they have to travel to be together mm-hmm. so these women are the last group of women being transported on an aircraft carrier uh, to England to to meet up with the men that they married and it's not the most they have visions of it being a luxurious cruise liner Mm -hmm. basically and it's not it's this it's this bare bones aircraft carrier and it's packed full of women and it's a six-week trip I think it's it's lengthy and many of the women are anxious about meeting up with the men that for for different reasons Mm -hmm. they maybe don't know them very well or just the experience of the war has changed one or both of them and we get to know four of the women who share a cabin and each of whom has a reason both to be excited but also nervous about their future Mm -hmm. and sort of the main character or the one you probably spend the most time with is pregnant and she's you feel like she's about to deliver it oh gosh uh, and so she's impending motherhood and and her relationship with her husband is all up in the air um, but they all have some secrets in their past and and some reasons why why we're focusing on mm-hmm. them and in my opinion Jojo Moyes just writes characters that you come to care about so much and this book was actually the best of hers in that respect, I think. Oh, interesting. Um, even though I've loved all of the books I've read by her. Uh, it just felt like we spent... A, it was, it's a fairly long book. It hmm. it feels... It was kind of meaty or dense, you know? It it's, took some time. And I think it's just because you spend so much time with each of the characters and get to know them so thoroughly that it, they're like real people in, yeah. in your mind. And I adore historical fiction. And this is a great example why it's evocative of a particular time period and what life was like for those women in that experience and something that feels very foreign because... I doubt I will ever be traveling on an aircraft carrier to meet my husband I I met during wartime. (laughs) You don't know, but I'm guessing not. But at the same time, they're all relatable people. You understand their emotions and their feelings. And so that's what I truly loved about it. And that is The Ship of Brides by Jojo Moyes. I feel like you can't go wrong with Jojo Moyes. I don't think you can. I haven't read all her books. I haven't. I I don't think I've read. I don't think I've quite read them all. I have maybe one or two left. But I've really enjoyed everything I've read by her. That's awesome. I love a I love an author that you can just count on. I know. It's very I satisfying. Too. Me too. <laughs> Thanks, authors. <laughs> Thanks for what you do. <laughs> Uh, my next book is A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, and I gushed about this in our Horror for Everybody episode. Did anybody ever read it that you could One talk person. To? Okay. I have a I have a request from our listeners <laughs> at the end of this. <laughs> Basically, someone please read this book and talk to me about it. <laughs> I only have one person that read it. And they just, they didn't have a lot to say. They didn't want to talk nearly as much as I wanted them to. Somebody please read this because otherwise she's going to make me read it. And I don't want to. I can't, I I can't have you read this book. (laughs) You can't handle it. And my sister shouldn't read it either. I'm, I, Elizabeth, don't read this. Yeah, don't read it. (laughs) I know you won't like it. I'll tell you the whole plot on her own. (laughs) So this is told from the perspective of an eight-year-old girl whose older sister suffers from schizophrenia. And I think the sister is 14, I want to say. Um, and they know that she has schizophrenia, but she's also becoming more aggressive and more violent and more frightening. And so basically the whole situation in their home is becoming worse. And so the family is falling completely apart. 
and the parents decide that something more besides just mental illness may be happening and that they're going to bring in a priest for an exorcism and that they'll, because the family has run out of money for treatments, they're going to film the whole thing for a reality show. So (laughs) the book is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. I still think about it sometimes when I'm falling asleep and get creeped out and I hardly ever get scared when I'm reading. It's, it's, very common for me to get scared when I'm watching things, but reading generally, I'm, I'm removed enough that it doesn't bother me. But this is terrifying. But I loved it. I loved every minute of the reading experience. It's presented in a really interesting way. And so there's multiple frames in the story. You, you kind of get taken out at different points that, that allow for different levels of understanding. And it pulls you along in a way that makes you think that you have a grasp on things. And then it gets to the very end and it completely tears you apart again. I love, oh my gosh, I love this book so much. Um, and I, as soon as I finished it, I instantly wanted to reread it with, with the information that I now had from the end. I wanted to reread the book through new eyes and see what, what made sense at that point. So I never, I almost never reread books. It's, it's not very common for me to do that. So I need someone to read this, please. Just, just send me an email, you know, where to find us. Tell me if you read it and we can talk. Okay. Thank you. It's A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. All right. My next one is Anything for You by Kristen Higgins. And you know I had to have a romance pick on here. (laughs) And I actually wasn't going to go with this one because I'm pretty sure I had a Kristen Higgins book on my list last year as one of my favorites. I think you did. So I was going to try to do a different author, but then that wasn't true to what I really loved, which was Mm -hmm. this was one of my favorite romances I read this year. So her books are always books that I find really absorbing and I love to read. I find them so satisfying. You and I have talked before about books that you want to hug when you Mm -hmm. finish them. Her books are always books I want to hug when I finish them. Uh, And this one is about uh, Jessica Dunn and Connor O'Rourke, who for 10 years have had an on-again, off-again relationship. And the story opens with Connor proposing to Jessica and she says no and then flips back and forth through the previous 10 years of their relationship to and the present day so you can see how they got into the situation why Jessica would say no and what is building towards wanting them you know why Mm -hmm. you would want them to be together Um, so it's really heartwarming and sweet and you care about the characters this is number five in the Blue Heron series Uh, so you get to see previous characters that were the main story um, in the background here and, and what they're doing with their lives and it's just a really fulfilling happily ever after ending and and sometimes you just need that in life so this is anything for you by Kristen higgins and she's coming out with a new book she is next year so you can just decide that's going to be that's going to be next year's yeah on second thought yes in fact she writes she's sort of just started in fact i think that was my pick for last year Uh was she's gone into women's fiction instead Mm -hmm. of romance now this was a romance obviously but her next one will also be women's fiction mm-hmm. instead of romance. So. I actually requested that from the publisher because it sounded really good. I know. I have so. it on my Kindle. All right. What's your next one? My next book is The Secret Keeper by Kate Morton. <gasps> and this is also one that we yes. that we talked about on the Tackling Art to Be Read list. That Hallie, I'm so proud. You, you did so well for me on, on that episode. And you also talked about this in The Gift Guide. Yes, I did. So it's been mentioned many times. And it's kind of hard to explain, but it covers several timelines uh, that that go throughout the 20th century. And it starts, the first one we read about is a 16-year-old girl in the 60s named Laurel who witnesses a shocking act from her mother, Dorothy. And then it jumps in time to both when the adult Laurel decides to try to piece together her mother's life and to find out what led to that moment that she witnessed um, and what that 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 moment meant because mm-hmm. she still doesn't really know and then it goes back to Dorothy's life in World War II when she seems to have her whole life ahead of her and is very optimistic but we know what's coming in the war and at that time the seeds are being planted for her future actions so it's it's really compelling to have these different um, timelines mm-hmm. running through the book and it, it was my first Kate Morton no- novel and it was so good I was I was expecting like the covers are very pastel uh-huh. and I like pastels, but, but they, there's a lot of books that are imitators of this yes. kind of thing. And yeah. especially World War II books yes. that like the British World War II experience is the most overwritten thing yes. right now. Yeah. And so it can feel like, even though I, I love the world building of, of historical fiction, or I guess world building isn't the right word, but right. the, the setting right. um, in historical fiction, I, I feel so often that it veers too much too much towards the heartwarming side of mm-hmm. of the story and doesn't have enough meat and even though she definitely has that element like there's heartwarming elements to this book 
there's there's a point in the book when you realize how incredibly gifted Kate Morton is mm-hmm. at laying groundwork mm-hmm. and it, the book just grabs you by the throat and it doesn't let go from that point. I mean, it's already good leading up to that point, but then yeah. there's a, there's a point yeah. and Hallie's nodding emphatically <laughs> right now. There's a point where you're just going to kind of sit back yeah. with your eyes wide open yeah. and it's, it's amazing. So this is such a satisfying uh, reading experience. I remember I was, I was visiting my, my mom at home while I was reading it and I was like, can I just sit, go sit in a room? Do I have to, I mean, I want, I'm here to visit you, but I really want to read, read this book. So um, luckily my mom also enjoys her too. So okay. it was good. And that's The Secret Keeper by Kate Morton. Okay. All right. My next one is March Book One by John Lewis. And I just about, spoke about this book recently in several different episodes. So I don't feel like I have to go into too much detail. Uh, but it was written by Georgia Congressman John Lewis, who played an active role in the civil rights movement. And he has written three graphic memoir collections. I always want to say graphic novel, graphic memoir, this three book graphic memoir collection about his experiences. I've talked before about not always liking graphic novels, but I can't really say that anymore because now I have like a handful that I actually really liked. So I can't really say that. Um, And the story in this one, I felt like the story with images was a more powerful story than just words on a page would have been. So I understand why they chose this format for the story. Mm -hmm. And I'm only listing the first one because I was really trying to be true to our top 10 of the year, but the whole trilogy should be on the list. Like it should just be considered one and three. Okay, thank you. Um, So that's March Book One by John Lewis. Okay, my next book is The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins. And I approve this one too. Yay. Um, I've talked about this before. It's a classic of British literature, and it's the first sensation novel, which examines all the horrible things that can happen in real middle-class life, Mm -hmm. um, kind of in the same way that gothic fiction sensationalized those those things. This is taking the same ideas and putting it in in real life. Um, So especially things that happen to women are, are examined. And it contains a famous opening scene in which the hero, Walter Hartwright, encounters a mysterious woman who's dressed in white while he's walking in um, across Hampstead Heath, which is this big, essentially, park in, mm-hmm. in uh, North London. And he's there in the middle of the night. And he sh- he, as they have this conversation, um, towards the end of it, he realizes that she's escaped from a mental asylum. And it all goes from there. <laughs> there's so many things that happen in this book. And there's all kinds of dramatic events. And they may feel far-fetched while you're reading the book, but they reflect the real insecurities of rapidly changing society during the 19th century. So there's a lot of very interesting stuff that's happening in this book. And it's creepy and spooky, but it, there's also a lot of meat in terms of the thinking about what choices were that women were allowed to make for themselves um, in their own lives during that time. And, and also a lot in terms of who... Uh, controls the narrative of of the story so there's there's lots of different people that that tell different parts of the story and it's interesting to notice who's telling which parts and so there's there were a lot of things by the end that I thought oh this was this isn't just all blood and guts this was some other stuff too so and and a lot of the message still is very applicable today Mm -hmm. to how women are able to make choices in their own lives so I loved it I love love loved it it's the woman in white in by Wilkie Collins All right. So my next one is The Female of the Species by Mindy McGinnis. Now, are we sharing this one or no? No, but I'm giving it a double thumbs. Okay. (laughs) So we had at one point talked about that we both wanted to put this on our list. So I wasn't sure. And then we decided it would be like, why not get more books on the list? Right, exactly. So feel free to chime in if if I'm not doing the description justice. I'm sure you'll be fine. It's a pretty brutal read. And the reason it made it in my top 10... I would not say I enjoyed this book, but it has stuck with me. Right. Um, it's hard book. To it's read. a hard book to read. It is. I'll tell you a little bit about what the story is. So Alex, Alex Kraft's sister, Anna, was raped and murdered uh, several years before the mm-hmm. book starts. And the accused man walked free. Um, but Alex knows that the only way to rectify the situation is that this man can no longer exist. So she kills him. And she's a teenager. Um, and the story starts in her senior year of high school mm-hmm. in a small Ohio town. And she's basically been flying under the radar. She no, she keeps to herself and everybody only knows her as the sister of the girl that got raped and murdered. But mm-hmm. nobody would ever suspect that she was the one who killed the, the accused man. So she volunteers to work at an animal shelter with... A girl whose nickname is PK because she's the preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. 
PK is a very outgoing, sweet person, gets along with everybody and, and tries to break through this protective shell that Alex has built around herself. And around the same time, she's also noticed by a boy named Jack Fisher, who's part of the popular crowd mm-hmm. and never somebody that Alex would have thought would have ever taken the time to get to know her. But he's completely intrigued by her and they have a, a connection uh, that, that neither of them can deny and they start dating. So I don't really think you could say too much about about the story beyond that. Yeah. It's it's an it's a really important book I think for a lot of both teenagers and adults to read because it is a look at the way rape culture has permeated mm-hmm. our world uh, and the casual way sexism and misogyny exists in our society and how here is this person, Alex, who won't have it. She, she just rejects will, all She of will it. not accept that this is acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> Except that this is yeah. that this is behavior that should be allowed. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is just so good, especially I think for teenagers who there's a lot of a feeling of you just want to fit in mm-hmm. and not not cause any waves and not ruffle any feathers and and so you go along with things because that's just what you do especially at teenage girls and um and she's just not having it she just will not have one bit of it and she's so strong and forthright and such an intriguing character and like I said it when I finished it I sort of thought wow that was a you know that was a powerful book but then it just would not get out of my head. Yeah. It just lodged in there. And I just think it's such such a good book. So well written. And I just, it's it's an important book. I keep yeah. saying that. It's just a really important book. And it, it says a lot, a lot about, you know, people sometimes disparage young adult novels. And this is a prime example yeah. of why you should never do that. Right, right. Um, and it's The Female of the Species by Mindy McGinnis. Do you have anything to add? Oh, I have so much to add. Okay. There's so much to say about this book. Um, I loved how it it was this unflinching look at female rage uh-huh. because we're so often as women, yes. both, both told by society and amongst ourselves that we should be nice mm-hmm. and, to, and to just, you know, definitely stand up for things but you can't be a nasty woman for example (laughs) um and you can't be aggressive no and so to have someone that just I mean I I've I can't tell you how many times I've had someone like upset with me for being angry about something Mm -hmm. and or men specifically upset with me for being angry and to read a book where it's just women women feel just as much rage Mm -hmm. we feel just as much anger Mm -hmm. and to have that be kind of accepted was mm-hmm. was so refreshing and then to see how in one character in in Alex how that's how she's come to terms with that mm-hmm. but then you have a, another character PK mm-hmm. who is just who's just learning yeah. of that side of herself yeah. and to see how she's trying to reconcile that with mm-hmm. with the way she's lived her life to that point and to and to struggle with that it was really interesting to read and I loved there's a part in the book where where I don't, I don't think it's too much to say that that uh, Alex and Jack are, are starting to become physically involved and and they're making out and he says something about it's okay if you're not ready to go for, further and she says of course it's okay right. and I was, I was like that blew me away yeah. because I know there have been times where I've had guys say things like that and I've been grateful for it yeah. like oh he's such a good guy because he didn't force me to do something I yeah. didn't want to do and that's ridiculous that right. we as women think that and it, there's just so many things that this book does that that made me think about my own uh ways of interacting with mm-hmm. men and mm-hmm. and not necessarily that I want to go out and start murdering people <laughs> but but just it was it, it talks a lot about violent fantasy and, mm-hmm. and sort of being able to to deal with your inner emotions mm-hmm. by imagining things and that sort it sort of fills that role mm-hmm. in in reading it so it's just it, this would 100% have been on my mm-hmm. list I think it's I'm ranking some things on some other lists and this is in my top yeah. three I would yeah. say yeah it's, it's, it's really so good all right, so what's your next one? I have a lot of mysteries on my list. <laughs> <laughs> it's another mystery. It's called A Beautiful Place to Die by Mala Nunn. And it came out a few years ago. It's part of a series, um, but this is the first book. And it's set in South Africa in the 1950s. And um, in that time period, it was the very beginning of apartheid. And so apparently the apartheid was was created to to heal the social rift or the political rift between the... Afrikaners, who were the white South Africans of Dutch descent, and the English settlers, 
but it really was institutionalized racism. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of hard to read about it in a lot of ways. Um, it's set in a small town called uh, Jacob's Rest or Jacob's Rest. And the town is pulled tight with tension between these differing groups of people who live there. And everything threatens to explode when an, when an, an Afrikaner police officer named Captain Pretorius is found dead. And an English detective named Emmanuel Cooper is called in to investigate the murder. But he's met by opposition from basically all sides of, of the town. He's an outsider, so no one wants to help him for that reason. And then there's cultural the cultural differences between the English and the Afrikaners are thwarting his investigation as well. And even the police that are supposed to be on his side are really more interested in finding radical black communists in the community. And so they're, they have um, their point of view of who must have done this murder. And so he really has no one to support him. But he doesn't let that stop him from searching for the truth. And he realizes that Captain Pretorius had many more secrets than his friends and family um, were aware of. So I loved this mystery opened my eyes to history in, in parts of the world that I really didn't know anything about. And that's one of my favorite things about historical fiction, that it, it can draw you into places that you haven't given a lot of consideration to. And the vi- the setting is really vividly described, and the social issues that complicate the mystery are fascinating, which is kind of a hard word to use because it's not like pleasantly fascinating, right, but right. it just made me want to learn a lot more about, about this area. And mysteries generally have one big reveal but this one managed to keep surprising me even after you found mm-hmm. out who done it mm-hmm. and so that was very pleasant mm-hmm. in in this there's a there's a lot more depth than i was sort of expecting from this mystery so it was um i don't think there's tons of books in the series like maybe three or four i want to say but i'm really excited to keep going in it and it's called a beautiful place to die by mala nun all right, my next one is In the Country by Mia Alvar, and I talked about this for our short stories episode, and it's a collection of short stories about Filipinos either returning to their home country after they have emigrated elsewhere or in the country where they have emigrated, and what that experience is like for them. I, I We talked about this when we did short stories. It's really hard to discuss short stories, yeah. like give a description of a short story, sure. so I'm just going to talk about why it was my favorite. Uh, short stories can sometimes to me feel incomplete and like they leave me wanting to know more just because I'm usually such a novel reader Mm -hmm. Uh, but each of these felt fully realized and complete and also they exposed me to an experience that I haven't dealt with which is some of the most the best books that I've read or the books that have impacted me the most um that's what they do is they they allow you to live multiple lives that, Mm -hmm. that you can't this was this did Everything it did, it did very, very well, I felt. And the stories were interesting and engrossing as well as, I don't want to say I learned something from them, mm-hmm. but informative in mm-hmm. some way. Um, and I just thought it was an absolutely stunning collection of short stories. And it's called In the Country by Mia Alvar. And I would never would have picked it up if we hadn't done a oh, short story awesome. collection episode. Yay. I know. All right, so last one? My last one. And I played a little bit of a trick on you because <gasps> on my on the outline, yeah. I put Still Life by Louise Penny, which I really did enjoy and I would have put on the list, but I wanted to surprise you with my 10th book is Nine Rules to Break When Romance is <gasps> a Rake by Sarah McLean. Get out of here. I know. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm so happy. This was the best Christmas gift you could have gotten me. <laughs> So if you don't remember, this was uh, something that Hallie assigned to me for our Out of Our Comfort Zones episode, which um, was a while, like almost a year ago. Yeah, so, January, right? Yeah. yeah. So I was very hesitant to read a romance novel. Even I read some in the past, but I hadn't enjoyed them very much because I thought they were shallow and demeaning. And uh, Hallie opened my eyes to the modern day romance <laughs> novel or the, the modern written romance yeah. novel because it's not set in the modern day, which is very different mm-hmm. than what I had in my head. So in this book... It's about a woman named Lady Calpurnia Hartwell, who's decided that since she's considered a plain and too old for marriage, she's going to do whatever she feels like with her life if she had been born a man. And so this first step in in uh, her list of things to do is to share a passionate kiss. And her willing partner is the notorious rake, uh, Gabriel, who's the Marcus of Ralston. Uh-huh. And he quickly becomes her partner in in crime for all of these antics that she gets into. I, I was so surprised by how much I enjoy this. And it, this, is, this is when I was thinking of things that have stuck with me throughout yeah. the year. This is what I yeah. thought. This is I really want to cry. With I'm so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's so many things that were so wise and profound and applicable to the modern woman. And it's 
it was just such an enjoyable experience. So it made me cry a bunch of times yeah. too. <laughs> so, so hooray. And thank you, Hallie, You're for welcome. making me find a new thing that I didn't I'm think so I would like. Three of the books on your list were books I that know. I was so proud. You did so well for me this year. It was Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake by Sarah McLean. We can't not say that title as many times as possible. (laughs) All of her titles are fantastic. Yes, they are. All right. So my last one is My Lady Jane by Brody Ashton, Cynthia Hand, and Jody Meadows. And I talked about this one before. And this one was my favorite audiobook that I listened to this year. I think mostly because it was the biggest surprise. I didn't know what I was getting into when I decided to listen to it. I had just seen, I think on Goodreads, maybe somebody had somebody that I follow or I'm friends with said she had listened to the audiobook and she thought it was just such fun. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I have a credit in Audible. I'll listen to it. And so this is what I picked. And it is an alternative history fantasy mashup. And it doesn't really seem like it should work, but it's it was totally irreverent and such a such a treat to listen to. Um, and I really feel like I don't know that it would come across in print the way it at least for me I don't know if I would have enough imagination uh, (laughs) to make it work in my head as it was to listen to Um, so it's a wacky reimagining of Lady Jane Grey's reign in Tudor England and if you don't know she is the nine nine day queen Uh um, and then was beheaded Um, so it's kind of closely to the actual history of the nine days of her reign but it does have a fantastical twist even in the part where it's sticking to the history Um, and then at the point where she's supposed to be beheaded it takes the idea that she actually escaped and runs with it and then the second half of the book is all what happens after she has escaped uh it's probably the most fun book i either listened to or read this year because uh it was just so unexpected and it was so funny and it that made it even a better book like we talked about with eligible i think Mm -hmm. expectations for me do a lot in how how much i like or dislike a book and so because i didn't expect much from this (laughs) i think that i was like completely blown away by it but it was just so fun different from what else i read this Mm -hmm. year i mean i didn't read anything that i could even really compare to it although i watched the princess bride not too long ago Mm -hmm. i had read as you wish the carrie ellis memoir and so i watched princess bride it's very similar in tone so if you liked that sort of comedy with the adventure romance Mm -hmm. fantasy storyline I think you would like this but it's My Lady Jane by Brody Ashton Cynthia Hand and Jody Meadows Whew, that's a long one I know we did it all right so we'll be right back with what we're reading this week What are you reading this week? Um, what I'm actually reading this week has defeated me um, because uh, Magical Realism and I are not friends. Oh, so, yeah, I can't handle it. So, I'm going to talk about something I read last week, which is A Rumpole Christmas by John Mortimer. Aww. And many listeners are probably familiar with the iconic character of Horace Rumpole, who um, was the, the, the character in a long running TV series that aired on Mystery on PBS um, through the 70s through the 90s. Um, there's actually not very many seasons of it, but it just ran for a really long time. So if you're not familiar with him, Rumpole is a curmudgeonly British lawyer who practices in London. And from I read, from what I've read, the, the character is incredibly popular in the UK. So there are still radio dramas that are being produced with this character, even this year. And so it's been going for 40 years at this point. And there's been different actors that have played him, including Benedict Cumberbatch, oh, which I had not known. Um so it was, it was very interesting to see how, how, what a big deal this character is um, overseas. And the character's creator, John Mortimer, who uh, he first adapted the character into radio plays and, um, and TV dramas, and then he started writing books based on the scripts that he had written for these, for these productions, mm-hmm. which I always thought it was a book first, and then because mm-hmm. w- that's more traditional to write the bo- or to have a book that you a- adapt for TV. Um, and I hadn't known that this was the opposite way. So this volume collects some of the the Christmas stories that he had had written for this character. And it's a very small book. It just has five short stories in it. And some of the stories are longer and have an actual investigation, but some are just a like 
five pages long and, mm-hmm. and are kind of tangentially uh, involved with a crime. Mm-hmm. But they're all very charming and, and feel very Christmassy. And they mostly start when Rumpel's wife, Hilda, who he calls she who must be obeyed. <laughs> um, she usually decides that Rumpel is either physically unhealthy or mentally unhealthy and that they're going to go do something new for Christmas. And Rumpel has to go along with it. And he grumbles a lot. But then he ends up solving a murder or a mystery of some sort um, at whatever country house they've gone to. So it's a little predictable, but that's yeah. sort of what you want you at Christmas. Yeah. And they're very, they they feel very British. Mm-hmm. They have very dry humor and a lot of it is sort of gently mocking the traditions that the British adhere to. And there's a lot of information about um, Rumpel's terrible food choices and drinking choices. And and it's just very light reading, but it was very cozy. And I had some lit candles and I had a cup of tea nice. and I had a fake fire on my laptop yeah. going. And so it just was was very, very pleasant to read nice. at this time of year. Yeah. So uh, that's A Rumpel Christmas by John Mortimer. Fun. All right, what I'm reading this week is The Serpent King by Jeff Sentner, and it's about a boy named Dill, who is the son of a Pentecostal preacher whose father, the preacher, has gone to jail for possession of child pornography. Oh. And he is socially ostracized, and he lives in this teeny tiny town in, I want to say, Tennessee. Yes, I'm pretty sure Tennessee. And he doesn't see much of a future for himself outside of this small town, but he he feels an obligation to his family. They have huge bills. And, and so his parents aren't very supportive of the idea of him leaving. They have no expectations that he's going to college. In fact, they don't even really think he should finish high school. Um, so he doesn't have a good support system, but he does have two good friends, Lydia and Travis who help make his life bearable. Lydia is effervescent and offbeat. She has a fashion blog, which keeps her connected to the outside world. And she plans to go to NYU and, and live with somebody she met through the blog. And, and she has this whole future planned out. And plus her parents, her father is a dentist. And so they're fairly well off, uh, compared to the rest of the townspeople. So Mm -hmm. she's had a very supportive life. And then Travis has, an abusive father, but he escapes by reading uh, a series of fantasy novels that have this sort of like George R. R. Martin is okay. the impression I got, or you know any sort yeah. of like high fantasy, yeah, super epic, yeah, so. epic stories. Um, and he is this gentle, kind of amiable guy, but he's really big, so people can be intimidated by him. Um, and and he's met a girl through these online forums about these books that he hopes to have a future with her, but but is perfectly comp- content about the thought that his future will be in this small town. Hmm. Dill, like I said, longs to get away, but doesn't think that it's even remotely a possibility. And Lydia really wants to encourage him to get out because she sees how unhappy he is. Um, and he sort of resents the fact that she will be able to get out. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the crux of the story is how they're going through their senior year and she's so excited about the future and he wants to stop time basically and 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 how you reconcile that. Yeah. Um, and they have different different issues that they're struggling with and there's actually completely devastating event that takes place about halfway through that I was shocked by. I had Mm -hmm. no idea it was about to come. Um, and, and that sets everything into different direction than it had been previous to that. Um, and I would say if you like John Green or his novels, you'll really like this book. It had a similar tone to me about the way he treats his teenage, his teenage characters. Um, and that is the serpent King by Jeff Zentner. I actually have this checked out too right now. I think we talked about I, that. Yes. But, and my friends that that read this for our book club, they they said I was in public and I wasn't expecting what happened yeah. to happen. I don't know what, what it yeah. is because yeah. I haven't read it yet. But they said it just started sobbing mm-hmm. and it was really embarrassing, yeah. but so good. And it's, so I can't wait to get it's into good. this. It's really good. All right. So this has been like an epic episode of our own. But it's the end of the year. But so. it's the end of the year. So we had to do it. Yeah. Um, all right. List off every book you talked about. Okay. Yeah. So my top 10 of the year are In the Woods by Tana French, People Who Knew Me by Kim Hooper, Skinwalkers by Tony Hillerman, Wolf Hollow by Lauren Walk, Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, The Secret Keeper by Kate Morton, The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins, A Beautiful Place to Die by Mala Nunn, and Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake by Sarah McLean. And what I read this week was A Rumpel Christmas by John Mortimer. All right, and my top 10 were A Little Life by Hanya Yanagahara, Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld, Lab Girl by Hope Jarens, One True Loves by Taylor Jenkins-Reed, The Ship of Brides by Jojo Moyes, 
Anything for You by Kristen Higgins, March Book One by John Lewis, The Female of the Species by Mindy McGinnis, In the Country by Mia Alvar, and My Lady Jane by Brody Ashton, Cynthia Hand, and Jody Meadows. And what I was reading this week is The Serpent King by Jeff Zentner. All right. So if you want to get in touch with us to tell us what your top 10 of the year was, we would love to see that yeah, list. We love lists. We love lists of any sort. Um, or if you have a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to cover in 2017, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at Beaufort County Library org slash well read where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode thank you all for listening and happy reading and happy holidays and happy holidays, and happy holidays.